So anyway, we're here. We want to hear from the Lord, not from me today, and I hope that's what we do, hear from the Lord. Well, while, I was, uh, while we were in La Grande, Oregon, uh, planting a church there uh, a few years ago, I had an interesting experience that I'd like to share with you this morning. A guy by the name of Al Thomas, who attended our church, was riding with me, and we were on our way to pick up some parts uh, for a 37 Chevy pickup of mine that we were working on, when we came across a guy who had a backpack on, and he was hitchhiking. So we swung over, I was driving, I swung over and picked him up, and I asked the regular question we ask a hitchhiker is, where are you headed? And he said, well, uh, I have to get to a town in Kansas, and I cannot remember if it's Topeka or Wichita or where, but Kansas, and we're in Oregon, see, because he said I had to get there because I had a job waiting for me there. So we went to the Greyhound bus depot, and uh, which was just down the road, and and uh, they had a special going on in those days. And I think this was in the 1990s. I know it was. And the special was, you might have even heard about it, anywhere in the United States you want to go for 99 bucks. That was cheap. So so I grabbed my checkbook. I had my back pocket, and I wrote out a check for $99, and I paid for the ticket. Well, I asked the clerk at the same time when this guy was kind of out of earshot. I said, is this ticket refundable? And he assured me that it was not. I thought that uh, that would take care of the guy coming back behind us, more or less, and trying to get my money back from the ticket. So I handed the hitchhiker the ticket. And then he informed me, or informed both Val and I, that he hadn't eaten for three days. Well, I took a look at him, and I thought, you know, I've, ha- I've had fast. I went on fast for three days lots of times. He just didn't look that peaked to me. But Al was real quick to grab his wallet and pull out 20 bucks, I couldn't believe it, and hand it to this guy and uh, so he could get something to eat. And then we proceeded to take him to a restaurant to get uh, to use up Al's 20 bucks. And that's when a red flag went up as he asked us how he was going to get back to the bus depot, which was about a mile away. And Al was quick to say, walk. That's how you do it. And we drove off. Well, the bus to Kansas was to leave later on that afternoon. On other places, too, on the way, but it was going to go to Kansas that afternoon. So towards evening, I stopped by the bus depot and to see if the hitchhiker had gotten on the bus. And the same clerk was behind the window there. Uh, and uh, so I asked him, I said, because this is a small station, very small This wasn't like Grand Central Station or something. This was a small little place. So he could tell. And he remembered me, of course, and he remembered this guy with a backpack. So I said, uh, did the guy get on that? Did that guy get on that? And, of course, you guessed it. He didn't. So while showing my disappointment to the clerk, he he said he probably sold the ticket. (laughs) I never thought of that. But uh, at the same time, he told me, the clerk told me about an organization in town called Neighbor to Neighbor, and <clears throat> that he, they said you can, a lot of churches belong to, and you, uh, they'll filter out a lot of these cases. Uh, so, so, uh, so shortly after that, we did join, the church did join. In fact, one of the guys, uh, 
that was uh, going to our church, uh, he, uh, uh, he became on the board of that neighbor to neighbor, and I think he still belongs to that board. So Al and I thought that we were helping, up, uh, helping out some poor homeless hitchhiker get a ride, but it seemed like we were the ones that were taken for a ride. Well, I'm sure some of you can identify with that. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Which brings us to this portion of scripture that we want to look at today. Now, I look back on the uh, sermons, my sermons, and see when was the last time I preached on this portion of scripture, but I preached from Matthew chapter 11, and it was in November 15th of 2020, just this last winter. And at the same time, <clears throat> at that time, excuse me, I purposely skipped or skimmed over some of the words of Jesus. I read them, but I skimmed over them. And that, so I'm hoping that I would get a chance to uh, give you part two of that uh, same message that Jesus wanted to give to John the Baptist. Uh, well, uh, I, 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 I've heard preachers say this, and I always thought, yeah, right. But I, no lie, I was going to preach on something else. You know, I thought, yeah, that really makes you sound spiritual, you know. But, but uh, I was telling Lou what I wanted to preach on. It was something on Elisha. And just didn't come together. So I remember laying in bed and, and uh, I said, Lord, what do you want me to preach on? And he more or less says, why don't you preach on the second part of this message uh, in and, and Luke, uh, from Luke's account rather. So Pastor Tim uh, asked me to, to bring the message here today. So I've got that opportunity. And, you know, I've had a, a lot of uh, roadblocks uh, this week on this portion of scripture or on this message and, and and the opportunity to get out of it to tell you the truth pastor tim called me from uh, wyoming and said you know uh, he had heard about lou's situation so he says uh, that tom could take this one as well as the second service but i said nope i'm gonna hang in there i've got this all figured out and so anyway we're going to look at luke's account today uh, and to see what he has to say to us. So would you please stand, and it's Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 23. Luke 7, 18 through 20. We'll stand for, out of reverence for God's word. And the disciples of John reported to him about all these things, and summoned two of his disciples, that's John the Baptist's disciples. John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one? Or do we look for someone else? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? At the very time he cured, <clears throat> at that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits and granted sight to many who were blind. Verse 22. And he answered and said, to them, that's the John's disciples, you go and report to John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and the blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for your word. What's it going to say to us today? We just pray, God, that it says something to each person here, each one, 
Lord, we don't want to leave anybody out. Just open up our ears so we can hear you and take something, just a, just a one-liner home to chew on perhaps this week, to think about in the future as well as today. We just thank you for the word of God, Father, because it can speak to us time and time again. No matter how often we read it, no matter how familiar we are with your word, it'll say something to us different every time. So that's what we're looking for today, Father. Just uh, anoint me with your spirit and open our ears, Lord, so we can hear you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated, folks. Okay. Gretchen usually uh, asks me if I've got uh, more than uh, Gretchen Jones usually asks me if I've got more uh, uh, sermon outline, and I usually do, and she's been doing this for a while, and she would type it up and then hand it over to the next person, Evelyn, and then to, uh, um, what's her name? Colleen, yes, Colleen. You know, it's down the line. And I said, no, don't bother. I said, just put sermon notes over to the side because I only have one point to this sermon. So you don't have to remember three points. And uh, and good preacher or most preachers, and I myself have done, I always had three points. But this only got one point. So uh, see if we can pick up on it, the one point through the sermon. So anyway, uh, I've got a, a little story here from uh, the finishing touch of, of by Chuck Swindoll. I don't think, this is a problem with old age, I don't think I've read it before, but it stuck out to me. Mrs. Bertha Adams, 71 years old, died alone in a West Palm Beach, Florida on Easter Sunday. The coroner's report says cause of death, malnutrition. She had wasted away to 50 pounds. When the state authorities made the, uh, their preliminary investigation of Mrs. Adams' home, they found that it was like a pig pen, the biggest mess you can imagine. One seasoned inspector declared that he had never seen a dwelling in such great disarray. The woman had begged food from the neighbor's back door and gotten what clothing she had from the Salvation Army. From all outward appearances, she was a penniless recluse, a pitiful, forgotten widow. But such was not the case. Amid the jumble of her unclean belongings, the officials found two keys to safe deposit boxes at two different local banks. In the first box, there were over 700 AT&T stock certificates Plus, seven, plus hundreds of other valuables, certificates, bonds, and solid financial securities, not to mention the stack of cash amounting to nearly $200,000. The second box contained $600,000, adding the net worth of both boxes, they found well over a million dollars. Fact is, Bertha Adams wasn't saving her money. This is what Swindoll says. She was worshiping it. She was hoarding it, gaining a twisted satisfaction out of watching the stacks grow higher and higher as she shuffled along the streets wearing the garb of a beggar. You never know, do you? <laughs> Mrs. Bertha Adams. I want to emphasize the words of Jesus in verse 22 here 
of Luke, and also verse 5 of Matthew's account in chapter 11, where he said, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, in context here, as we noted last November, while John the Baptist was in prison, as it said here, about to get his head chopped off, uh, he sent two of his disciples, his disciples, to go to Jesus and ask him if he was the expected one, verse 19. Otherwise, are you the promised Messiah, Jesus? We've been looking for the promised Messiah for hundreds, thousands of years. Since Genesis 3.15 that he promised Adam and Eve, he would send a redeemer. So you can imagine the people that lived and died waiting, watching for this promised Messiah. Are you them? Or should we be looking for someone else? So... Anyway, now last time I spoke about this on this passage, we covered the fact that it seemed like John had his doubts, if you can recall, while he was in prison, that Jesus was the promised one, or should we be looking for someone else? Verse 20. Remember earlier in John's ministry when he was baptizing, he had testified with his own mouth that Jesus was truly the expected one. While he was baptizing the multitudes, he said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Matthew 3.11. So he testified. Then in John 1.15, he said, John the Baptist, he said, when he saw Jesus coming to him, this is he whom I said he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he, Jesus, existed before me. Now, we know if we look at Luke's account, the fact on this earth that John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. So how did he exist before him? Well, what John the Baptist was recognizing, the deity of Christ. He came from heaven, and he existed before me, has a higher rank than I do. Okay. John 1, 29, John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, the Pharisees even remember, they said no one can remove sin except God and God alone, recognizing again who Jesus was. And it was John the Baptist who witnessed the Holy Spirit descending in the form of a dove upon Jesus at the time of his baptism, Matthew three sixteen. And in John 1, 34, John the Baptist said, I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. And yet it seemed that while John was in prison, doubts began to creep into his mind to as if this Jesus was truly the promised Messiah. His faith began to waver, didn't it, in his last days on this earth. And if you recall, I suggested perhaps in our last days on this earth, As we get ready, as we get closer and closer to going home to be with the Lord, perhaps our faith can also waver. And that's too bad. But those are the times that we remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. He said, be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Excuse me. Stand firm in the faith. And the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 13, 13 The one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. Remember, folks, Satan will throw everything he can at us, including doubts of our own salvation, before we leave this earth. 
And note again here the words of Jesus in Luke 7.22. As Jesus told John's disciples, you go back and you tell John, who was in prison at the time, what you tell him what you have seen and what you have heard. Now we notice the contrast or or the words of Jesus, the opposites more or less. He said, tell him the blind see now. The lame walk, the deaf hear, the leper is cleansed, the deaf is raised up. And sure enough, Lazarus, the widow's son, you know, they were raised from the dead. You just tell them what you've seen and heard. But what did he say about the poor? I hope you've noticed this. I hope I'm not the only one. But it always jumped out at me. Did he say the poor will have enough money to last them the rest of their lives? That would have been the opposite, like he did these other guys. Don't worry about it. They'll take. I'll take care of them. I, I, I take care of their bank account, whatever. They, they'll get. No, he didn't say that at all, did he? He said the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now Jesus says the poor will experience the forgiveness of their own sins and eternal life if they put their faith in me, in Jesus. Now, <clears throat> the question I put to you this morning is. How is the gospel going to put food in their stomach and clothes on their backs if they're poor? Which begs another question, who then are the poor? Or is it the birth of Adams that we would look at and say, she's poor, she's got to be hurting. Is it the person in the street corner with the sign written on a piece of cardboard that reads, we'll work for food, anything will help. God bless. We've seen it. Haven't we? Are, are the poor the ones who have lost their homes and all their possessions in a fire, earthquake, tornado, food, a flood, or a hurricane? Are they the poor? Is it the thousands that we see on our nightly news who are fleeing for their lives and from their own country, from their home country, with everything that they own in a back with a backpack? The refugees are they the poor? Are the poor of the homeless who are sleeping under the streets, or or excuse me, on the streets or under the overpass or in tents in which I witnessed myself just this past few days as I was going to the hospital. You come to the overpass there at the, at the, where the freeway is and it's just lined with people and then outside there's blue tents, you know, all around. Are they the poor? Are those, the, the poor are those who are starving to death in places like Africa, India, China, Mexico, Syria, Brazil, the list goes on and on. So the poor could be all of the above, couldn't it? They could easily be them. All the ones that I just mentioned, they could be the poor. While I was in Mexico, while we were in Mexico a few years ago, I had a pair of glasses made for me uh, to wear while I was plowing and disking the fields because the dust just tore my contacts up. I was wearing contacts in those days. I've had cataract surgery since then. Since then. <clears throat> but the dust, would, if you've ever wore contacts, you know what I'm talking about. It just rips you up when you get something in it, let alone dirt. 
So I, and if I, I tried plowing without them, but you know, the rows would go like that. No, just kidding. And, uh, but anyway, uh, so, so while we were waiting for those contacts, I mean, for those glasses to be made, the gal said, why don't you just find something to do for a couple hours, two hours, can you mind? And while she were making that glass. So Lou and I went outside and, and sat uh, on a uh, bench that was out, right outside. Beautiful day, just like today, a little warmer though. And I observed some boys over to my left. I would guess their ages were eight to ten years of age. And uh, they were polishing shoes of the people passing by and stopping people that had shoes other than sneakers, you know, to polish them up. In fact, the guy right next to me, he had these old work boots that would just look pretty tough. And this one little boy, he just grabbed a hold of them and he cleaned them up and then he polished them up probably better than they were when they were new. So I asked the gentleman next to me, who was a Mexican guy, could speak English quite well, why aren't these boys in school? And he said, because they're the breadwinners of the family. And he says, I did the same thing when I was their age. Were they the poor? Kind of looked like it. But isn't that what Jesus said in the three Gospels of Matthew, Mark, John? For the poor you will always have with you. And it's true, isn't it? As long as I can remember, there were always poor people or ones we heard was quite poor. So when Jesus tells John's disciples to report back to John that the poor have the gospel preached them, preached to the, is he telling them as well as us the solution to poverty is the gospel? I'll give you something to chew on. Those who lack food and clothing and shelter, Actually, you think about it, the poor in Jesus' day were the blind and the lame and the leper and the deaf. They were, weren't they? They didn't have the government programs that we have today in the U.S. They didn't have the food banks, the welfare checks, the food stamps, the SSI, the stimulus checks. They didn't have none of that. No. So they had to revert to begging for their food and their personal needs until Jesus came along. They were also the outcasts, mainly because the people in that day and age believed their physical handicap was a result of their own sin. Remember John chapter 9, where the, his own disciples asked him, well, whose, whose sin was this? Was it his sin or was it his parents? And Jesus said, no. Jesus said, neither one. He says that, 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 that God would be glorified through their his blindness, and he was. But then Jesus came along. He healed all these, a lot of these handicapped people, not all of them. If we look at, at the man 38 years, 38 uh, uh, years as a cripple who couldn't get down to the pool of Siloam, remember, he didn't heal them all. He didn't say he'd heal them all. He healed that guy. He healed them up so they could make a living for themselves. And I, glad, I bet you they were glad. Emphasizing the words of Paul in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, If anyone will not work, neither let him eat. But there seems to be another group of people here that Jesus was speaking of here that were just out and out poor, with apparently no way to make a living. No help wanted signs in their day, which by the way, when I was coming home from the hospital the other day, I just up for kicks. I knew I was going to preach on this. I'm going to count 
the, it said now hiring or help wanted signs. I counted six signs, different outfit, different businesses. Before I got to Deer Park, which Ace Hardware, you might have picked up on it, they had a now hiring sign. Six of them, that'd be the seventh one. All kinds of opportunities for the poor or the down and outers to get jobs. <clears throat> oh, where was I? I got so excited there. <clears throat> so then, why would uh, Jesus suggest the solution? to their poorness, is to have the gospel preached to them. We are all aware of John 6.35, when Jesus spoke to the people following him, where he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now, in the context of those verses, he is speaking about people that are spiritually poor. But here in Luke's account, I believe in all the context that now he is speaking to people who are physically poor. So then, I ask again, how would giving them the gospel supply their daily need of food and clothing? Here's what I believe. Uh, when I search God's word, uh, you can take it or leave it, really, <laughs> but I believe this in my heart. I believe once the poor, spiritually or physically poor, have put their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then they become a child of God. Uh, John 1.12, but as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. But not before they've made that commitment to Jesus. I get tired of sometimes, and you might too, of uh, people say, well, we're all born children of God. Hogwash. That's not true. Not until we're born again are we a child of God. We have to put our trust in Jesus. That's the Way, the truth, and life, no man comes to the Father but through me. That's the narrow way that Jesus spoke of. Once they put their trust in Christ, then they are no longer spiritually poor. And as a child of God, he will supply their daily need of food and clothing. Isn't that what Jesus promised the people on the Sermon on the Mount, which you and I have both read several times in Matthew Chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus is speaking here, Sermon on the Mount. For this reason, I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, to what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, neither do they reap, go, uh, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Sure you are. <laughs> and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit, and some say an hour, uh, to one lifespan? And why are they, you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, how they, <clears throat> they do not toil, nor do they spin. And it is amazing. You look down at those flowers where... Talking about flowers, Danny's talking about here. You know, you look at the inside, and I was always fascinated with the cactus, ugly-looking cactus down in Arizona. Beautiful flowers on them, just real dainty little. It's fascinating. But anyway, and Jesus goes on. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is to live today and tomorrow, be thrown in the furnace. 
Will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Nor with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. <clears throat> Therefore do not be anxious, for tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I think you put some water in it. <clears throat> yeah, right. Thank you. A familiar passage. <clears throat> That's worse than ever. For a familiar passage of scripture, isn't it? And note again, verse 32. All these things the Gentiles, and some of your Bibles say, I think at the NIV it says the pagans, the unbelievers, he says, they eagerly seek the king. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Otherwise, don't worry about these things. As a child of God, your heavenly father will provide all these things if you seek him and his righteousness. Verse 33. Now, God said it. I believe it. And that settles it, right? Amen. I heard a couple. Now, am I saying, now catch this, folks. Am I saying that we should not give our money or material things to those who are in need, the poor? No, I'm not saying that at all. Hear me out. I'm aware what Jesus said to the rich young ruler, sell all your possessions and give it to the poor and come and follow me, which we know the story. He didn't, but he said, give it to the poor. Similar words he told his own disciples, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Luke chapter 12, verse 33. So Jesus believed in giving to the poor, didn't he? <clears throat> and the words of Solomon, huh, the words, they're, they're amazing, the verses on the poor. But here's three of them. Proverbs 14, 31. Uh, Solomon says, he who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker. But he who is gracious to the needy honors God. Proverbs nineteen seventeen, He who is gracious to the poor man lends to the Lord. And God will repay him for his good deed. Proverbs 22, 9. He who is generous will be blessed. For he gives some of his food to the poor. Therefore, God may be using you as well as me. To provide food, clothing, shelter through a food bank, through missions, or heavy on mission giving here, <clears throat> or even through handing them a buck or two. But, hear me out, if that's all we give them, folks, if that's all we give them, we are doing them a great injustice. Along with supplying those physical needs, they need to hear the gospel, the good news, verbally, through a testimony, through a track, or whatever. These are, I've got a couple of tracks, if you ever wonder what a track is. A track is four spiritual laws. They came, Bill Bright had them years ago. You can just, if you're real nervous about it, say, hey, friend, would you, would you, I'll, I'll read this to you, hand it to them. Read it through with them, and right, it's got a suggested prayer in it. And tracks should always have a suggested prayer. And then a lot of them have a little place you sign in the back, and uh, or, or you can call this number if you prayed this prayer. And uh, but something that will lead them to Christ. <clears throat> Don't leave them hanging. 
This one says steps of peace with God. There's all kinds of them. I would have bought a bunch for you guys, but uh, Bible bookstores have <clears throat> been shut down for a few years now. <clears throat> Man, I tell you, what's the problem here? I'm catching some of the loose stuff. I think. Mm. <clears throat> but your own testimony, Lou and I were talking about that coming back from the hospital. Your testimony carries an amount, a huge amount of power. And when was the last time you heard a testimony? Somebody says, well, I came to Jesus, you know, like myself. I came to Jesus back in 1975 and the driving and all this stuff. <clears throat> Tell them how you came to Jesus. They can't argue with that. I, I, uh, maybe I'll throw this in. This is free. No, Lou says no. But uh, here's it is. <clears throat> I heard a testimony in Sanders. I could not believe. The guy was the leader of our youth, physically fit, a smoke jumper. <clears throat> I tell you, just a little, do I have enough time? Just a little background. This guy could, could come up to a fence post. He'd show off with these young teenagers. He could press this fence post down, more or less, raise himself up. He was good in gymnastics. Raise himself, swing over to the other side of the fence and come down on the other side. He was powerful. <laughs> you know. <clears throat> but I heard his testimony one night. I said, Bill, would you give us our testimony? Yeah. No problem, Jim. Well, I was a young lad. He says, uh, I wanted uh, God, I wanted to see if there really was a God. So he says, I, I uh, prayed and God, I, I prayed to God. And I was out in the, out in the yard by myself. <clears throat> and I asked God, God, I need you to prove that you are there. You're real there, that you're real in my life. So he says, I want you, this is true now, I want you uh, to help me learn how to fly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I was all I could do, Sharon, to hold myself back. <clears throat> but I did, I reserved myself, I was sitting up here where people could see me. Anyway, so he said, so I went along on the ground and he ju- jumped, and he says, uh, jumping, got a little pretty, I jumped and got a little higher, I jumped a little higher, and pretty soon he said, no, this is what he said, pretty soon I could look down and see our house, and uh, so I guess he landed okay, he didn't tell me, but anyway, so he went in the house and he told his mom, he said, "Uh, mom, I can fly, yeah, sure, son, well, come on out and I'll show you, so he did the same thing he did uh, before, but obviously nothing happened. But I started thinking, that is an extreme testimony. And I says, but who are we, who am I? The guy was sane, by the way. And uh, who are we to say it wasn't true? (laughs) So your testimony carries a lot of weight. I doubt if it's that extreme, but uh, it carries a lot. Tell them your testimony. Tell them verbally how you came to Jesus. Give them a track. But isn't that going along with what Jesus is saying here in Luke 7, 20 to the poor have the gospel preached to them? And I understand that Franklin Graham's shoebox ministry <clears throat> that we partake in for years, um, that uh, they place a track in their language, wherever it goes, uh, telling them how to, get, how to come to Jesus. And each shoebox will contain that as it's sent to this poor child. Now, the stuff they got in the shoe, shoebox will wear out, won't it? But if they put their faith in Jesus, it'll never wear out. It just 
Praise God. That. And, and, and as I mentioned before, when I preached at Union Gospel Mission years and years ago in Spokane, <clears throat> the house was every, every night, it was full of homeless people. And it was pretty good size, that building. Homeless men were just the men. We just assumed they were poor. By the way they looked, they didn't have a place to sleep. But along with a hot meal, a shower, clothing if they needed it, a bed for the night, we preachers, whoever was taken behind the pulpit that night, were required to give a message containing the gospel and an invitation to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior <clears throat> before they could step across the room and eat. That was a requirement. You could smell the food cooking, but uh, they couldn't go there until they heard the message. And we saw quite a few people come to the Lord. And only the Lord could see their heart to see if it was real or if they were just hungry. <clears throat> but anyway, they did come to the Lord. And I hope they still do that. But the point is, we gave them the gospel. And we knew then, hey, they could walk out of here if they're honest and true, that they really given their life to Jesus. And they could walk out of here with a new perspective. And God would take care of them. You see, folks, once... The poor become a child of God. Then it's God's responsibility to supply the food, the clothing, because he or she is now his child. That's exciting to me. Matthew 6.33, And all these things shall be added to you. These things, food and clothing. The point is, if we don't give them a gospel along with that dollar bill, that they'll be back on the street tomorrow and the next day and the next day. They'll be back. They might, if they don't read it, they might still be there. But if they read it, I believe they won't be on the street anymore. Remember the words of Jesus who said to John's disciples, you go back and you tell John the poor have the gospel preached to them. Can we do anything less than to give them the gospel? In the simplest way we have, this is simple. Jesus died for you, my friend, and he rose again from the dead for your sins. He rose from the dead to give you life after death. I got a little story here that's kind of catchy. <clears throat> from John Ortberg's book, The Life You've Always Wanted. He's got quite a sense of humor if you've ever read any of his books. <clears throat> A little boy went to Sunday school where he knew the sort of answers that he was supposed to give to the questions. So the teachers ask, what's brown, furry, has a long tail, and stores up nuts for the winter? Well, the boy said, I guess the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. In a way, he was right, though, when they, Jesus is the answer. For the world today, as the song goes, he was the answer. In a way, he was right. If you look on your newsreel or you look on TV, you look across the street, you look down the road, you read in your paper, how many times you said, Jesus is the answer here, my friend. Jesus is the answer. <clears throat> Whether people are rich or poor or in between, 
Jesus is the answer. They need to hear about the love of God, the good news, and that's our responsibility. God left us with that responsibility to take the word, take the gospel to everyone that we can possibly. And each one of us here today reach out to different people. We got our own circle of friends. You've got some people that you kind of like, but but they don't know Jesus. You got a relative, they don't know Jesus. Just try once more to reach them for Jesus. They need to hear about the man on the grand. They had the backpack on. I'm ashamed to say, as far as I can remember, I didn't tell him about Jesus. You see, I was more concerned about my $99 that I lost than about his lost soul. You can't let that happen. I hope I'll never let that happen again. This song that I was going to sing to this morning is about a guy who people had written off as a loser. Have you ever had some people like that in your life? You just got to write them off. They're losers, you know, you might say. <clears throat> They need to know about the love of God, the love that saved them and that saved you. It could save them and saved you. They need to hear about that. I saw an ad on TV. You might have seen it too. And I can't remember what the guy was selling, but I remember what he said. He says, we treat our customers like they were our brothers, our sisters, our mom or our dad. Now apply that same thought to the guy or the gal that you're trying to reach out with the gospel. Would you try a little bit harder if they were your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad? Sure you would. I tried like crazy to reach mom and dad and my brother and sisters for Jesus. And in some cases it went over like a lead balloon, to tell you the truth. I remember losing tears talking to my dad and mom about Jesus. And they started, took it as a personal offense. That, well, you're, you're saying we raised you wrong because now you read the Bible. Said, no, no, no. I just trying to tell you, reach out to Jesus. And maybe they did towards the end. I don't know. But I remember the tears I shed too that day when I was in the driveway of our farm. Just tears running down my face. And I was hoping nobody would come by. I couldn't figure out what it was. But it was the love of God just coming over me. And I just wept like a baby. And I was 33 years old. They need Jesus out there, folks. They do. And we can give it to them. Each of us. We got our ways. We got the gospel. We know what it is. That's what Jesus said here. 